If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John about literary dependence and the synoptic problem. This is looking at the process by which the Gospel authors went about writing the Gospel books. Given that the Gospel books are so similar, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it raises the questions such as, do they copy each other? Are the similarities due to the divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit? What do the evangelical scholars say about this? Is there something wrong with their approach? John will be looking to answer these questions and more. We're continuing from the previous episode today. We hope you enjoy. Change number four, changes Matthew made to Mark according to Shabirali. Change number four, changes to have Jesus calling God Father. And he cites Mark 13.35, where Jesus, and it should be 3.35, For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Whereas the parallel passage in Matthew 12.50, assuming it's parallel, he says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, according to Shabir, Matthew's trying to tighten this relationship between Jesus and God the Father. That Mark just refers to him generically as God, but Matthew identifies him as my Father. And he's doing that to try to, again, elevate the picture of Jesus, elevate him up to being God's own Son. So, is that a good argument? I'm guessing it can probably be resolved in a similar way as the Son of God one. Well, when we look at all of the occurrences, we will see Jesus call God Father, call God as Father three times in Mark and 39 times in Matthew. That is a di- big difference, isn't it? Yeah. That is a big difference. So you might, prima facie, think that Shabir's got a point here. Does he? No. <laughs> Matthew does have Jesus call God 39 times. But out of those 39, 29 times, in Matthew, Jesus says, my father, he calls God my father. Ten times, he calls God your father. 29 and 3 is still a pretty big gap. It is a big gap. Certainly, Matthew uses it more, but the issue is not whether Matthew uses it more, but whether he's trying to elevate the picture of Jesus by doing so. If he wants to elevate the picture by saying, Jesus has this special relationship with God because God is his father. Why would he do it 10 times for ordinary people? That would do the opposite. It would make it look like it's not a special relationship that he has. Other people have it too. That's true. Does, does Erica refer to God as your father ever? Yes, Mark does have it twice, both in chapter 11, both times that passage about if you will do not forgive your Father in Heaven will not forgive you either. So yes, he does have it twice there, which underscores the point that, in fact, this use of this title is not meant to elevate Jesus above people. Now, Jesus is elevated above people, 
And he does have a special relationship with God as his father within the triune Godhead. But the difference is that, considering how this expression is used, both by Matthew and Mark, the differences in number does not bear up the contention that Matthew is doing it in order to elevate the picture of Jesus over and above the picture in Mark. Yeah, you can really see how context is important here. Okay, let's look at another one. Number five changes Matthew made to Mark to elevate the picture of Jesus changes for having people pray to Jesus. Now, in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, this is where the disciples are crossing the, the sea in a boat and Jesus is asleep and a storm comes up. In Mark, it says this, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In the parallel passage in Matthew 28, it says, Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. So the idea is, in Mark, they're not calling on Jesus to save them as if he had the power to do so, whereas in Matthew they are. But we have to ask, is this really a prayer in Matthew, or is it simply a request? Well, with Jesus being both divine and human. I I guess if you think of it just as the human part, it's a request, but since he's also God, then in that sense, it's a prayer. Well, but when the disciples are saying to him, Lord, save us, are they doing it as a prayer? Do they have that understanding of who he is? Well, I guess at least they must know that he can do miracles. Otherwise, they wouldn't be asking him. Yes, but there were people in the Old Testament who did miracles and saved people who were not God. True. So I, I don't know if, if it's even correct to say that this is actually a prayer. It is a request. And at that point, do people make requests of Jesus and Mark? I'm do, sure they do. Do, do they come and say, like, save my son? Yeah. Save yeah, exactly. So this, this is an example of blatant cherry picking. We say, oh, look, they're here. They're saying, Lord, save us. So Matthew's elevated the picture of of Jesus to the point where people would say, Lord, save us. But he does that a lot in Mark too. Shepherd doesn't talk about those. It doesn't fit the paradigm. Oh, interesting. And the third thing is, was more than one disciple present there? Yes. Yes. And they're all kind of in panic mode and they're rushing to him. They see him sleeping. They're trying to wake him up. Could they have said different things? Some of the disciples saying this and some saying that? Of course. Well, exactly. And that's what's happening. Mark recorded what one disciple said, or maybe more than one, and Matthew recorded what some other disciples said. That's exactly what you would expect. We have a group of people all kind of desperate and all calling to Jesus about the situation. Yeah. So again, does, do we see here that Matthew is elevating the picture of Jesus to make him look more divine? No. Have we seen on any of the five points that Shabir has to do so far? Have we seen that? No. Exactly. Shabir's sixth point changes Matthew made to Mark. Number six changes for reducing Jesus' emphasis on the one God. He quotes Mark twelve twenty nine to 30, where Jesus answers the foe who's asking him about the great commandments. He says, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The same incident recorded in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 38, is a shorter answer 
Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So Shabir's argument here is, look, Matthew has Mark in front of him as a source. He sees this, and he looks at that hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the, the very well-known Shema that Jews recite, and he drops that out because he wants to obscure the fact that the Lord is one because that would mean that Jesus cannot be the Lord. Okay, Lord here, block capitals indicates that it's quoting Hebrew where the personal name of God is used. Yehoah or Yahweh or however it's pronounced, we don't know for sure. But this is the argument here from Shabir that Matthew is deliberately reducing the emphasis on God as one God. What do you think? Does that sound like a good argument? Well, first, as usual, just one sample. It's not all that convincing. And secondly, I think it's, it's pretty well known anyway that's one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your not the Lord your, the Lord's your gods anyway. So I, I don't think it's a very strong argument. Yes. First, let's look again at the context. How many times is one God mentioned in Matthew and Mark? Well, Mark mentions this two times, the passage we looked at, and as well in Mark 2, 10, 18. Matthew mentions it one time in Matthew nineteen seventeen. So neither of them is mentioning it often, as there's no question that the readers understood that God is one. The difference between mentioning it one time as in Matthew, two times as in Mark is really insignificant. It's interesting, just to step aside for a moment, when we look at that Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shabir may not like this fact, but this is an indication of plurality within the Godhead. In Hebrew, Shema is the, the first word, and that's what's called the Shema. That's here as, as an imperative. Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel. Now, this is how they'll say it. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And so they substitute Adonai, which literally means Lord, in place of the personal name of God, which is there in the text. But you notice that they will say, the second part, Adonai Echad. Yeah, the Lord is one. Now, there are two words in Hebrew for one. Echad, which is the one used here, and Yachid. What's the difference between the two? If you're talking about an absolute singularity, you use Yachid. So it's always an absolute singularity. If you want to be clear that, that God is radically Unitarian, like traditional Jewish belief or Islamic belief, you would use the word Yahid. Echad can be used for unity, radical Unitarian entities, but it doesn't have to be. It's also used for composite unities. For example, that passage in Genesis chapter 2 when the woman is made and Adam says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken from man. And then the text tells us, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Yeah? One flesh. Now, when the man and the woman join, are they literally radically Unitarian? Do they meld into each other so there's only one, one human being there? Or are they still two separate individuals, but in a oneness here? Two separate individuals. Yeah, so it's a composite unit here of two individuals, and, and the word used there in the Hebrew is echad. 
Yeah, but but uh, can we really understand the Trinity that way too? As like one, and there there are three of them inside. Like we can't, as humans, we can't really understand it anyway, can we? No, and I'm not trying to make that point. I'm trying to make the point that Echad is a composite unity. There are different ways to express a composite unity, but it's not a radical Unitarianism, as Shabir would have it. In fact, there's no question about this. The greatest medieval Jewish rabbi called Maimonides, he made a point of this. He said, when you say the Shema, never say Echad. Always change it to Yachid. He wouldn't actually go and change the text of the scripture itself. But everywhere else, he said, when you write about it, when you talk about it, always use Yachid, not Echad. Is that because as long as it's Echad, the Christians could be right? Okay, so... I'm not sure that Shabir, it's in its own best interest here to draw attention to that particular passage. But Shabir believes the Koran anyway. Why would he care? I mean, if he's trying to point out to us that Matthew removed that because he wants to reduce Jesus' emphasis on the one God, in fact, you could argue the opposite and say, well, Matthew reduces that because that passage shows that God is a composite unity, which would then fit in with the Trinitarian thinking. So that's that's really not going to make his case here, even if it weren't for the issue of context. Well, is, is the compositeness still shown when the gospel is written in Greek and is quoting the Hebrew? Well, you're one of our resident Greek experts there. You can look up the, the meaning of the word and see. But I'd be pretty sure if you check the Septuagint translation, they would probably use the same word here as, as they would use in their translation in Genesis 2. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. 